Welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode 78. I'm Daniel Shaw, here with our co-host, John McGregor. Howdy, John. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing today? Um, living the dream. Doesn't get any better than this. I have over 15 years of experience as a Marine infantryman, and John has over 20 years of experience as a law enforcement officer. That combined, we have about 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years experience carrying concealed weapons. The purpose of this show is to discuss firearms, equipment, and training as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and a civilian perspective. Welcome to episode number 78. Welcome, John. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, all. Uh, we told you guys, if you bought a t-shirt, you get a free podcast this weekend for a Black Friday special. That was our special, so here's your podcast. Yeah, don't listen if you didn't buy the Made shirt. Of our yet. words. Yep. Uh, if you didn't buy a shirt, go ahead and turn this thing off. Go buy a shirt, and uh, then come back and you can listen to it, because right now, you just haven't earned it. We're going to talk today a little bit about Black Friday deals and what we've bought, or what I've bought, because John just bought socks and stuff. And we're going to answer uh, an email. But before we get into that, we have to mention our sponsors. And that's right, we said sponsors. You want to tell us a little bit about that, John? Daniel, uh, I guess right now we will announce that uh, Dark Angel Medical is coming on board as kind of our second sponsor for the podcast. Kerry Davis of Dark Angel Medical. I've been in contact with him, and he's going to sponsor the show. Those of you who look close at the T-shirt pictures that uh, Daniel posted, uh, his logo is on there as well. And uh, Dark Angel Medical is basically a company that uh, has some products as far as medical medical kind of blowout kits and also provides training, kind of live fire training and sometimes uh, you know not live fire training, but just in how to use the kits themselves for the, the practical application of kind of ditch medicine. Carrie's got a Facebook page and website if you look up Dark Angel Medical. And our plan is uh, I'm actually going to interview Carrie uh, sometime next week. So in a week or two, that show should be posting. And I'm sure he will be much more eloquent in describing uh, what it is that his company does and, and talk about his products and his course offerings and so forth. Yep, it's Dark Angel Medical at darkangelmedical.com. And these kits, we're not talking about like adventure medical kits, some things we talked about in the past where, you know, I've liked some of the adventure medical kits that have just a lot of different things in them. We're not talking about band-aids and spray liquid skin or all that stuff, like a thousand different things. We're talking about these streamlined kits, trauma first aid kits, you know, to actually treat things that we may encounter, you know, on like a battlefield uh, as a law enforcement officer or a civilian in a shooting. It's not anything extra that you have to dig through. It's exactly what you need to cover a huge variety of types of situations. Yeah, it's all within the size of a couple, like a double 30-round M4 mag pouch. So something very small, very compact, uh, everything you need, and nothing that you don't. All right. Uh, we also have uh, Ares Gear. Uh, if you want a awesome gun belt, the best ever, go to AriesGear.com. Check out the Ranger belt. I was speaking with Jake this past week. We talked about a, a Brokos belt, and uh, I've ordered a Brokos belt from Viking Tactics. And uh, when that gets here, I'm going to try that out with the Ares Gear belt. Jake actually suggested that I, I use their their two inch belt, their gun belt or their uh, duty belt, military. And uh, I'm going to give it a try with the Ranger belt, and then probably get one of those uh, military belts and give it a try with that. But uh, we'll definitely look for that in the future, and we'll tell you how that turns out. And I think John's looking at a Broco's belt as well. Yes, absolutely. And if, uh, as part of the way our our sponsors just kind of tie in together, what's uh, what's something you could put on that 
Aries belt that's on your Brokos belt as you get your, your dark kit from Dark Angel Medical. Throw that on there as well, and you're uh, good to go. Uh, you know, I made a comment, a Facebook post this past week about since I'm leaving the Marine Corps, I can join the multicam crowd and be a cool multicam guy now. So I've got a multicam Dark Angel Medical kit on the way and a multicam Brokos belt coming. And whenever I order that next belt from Aries Gear to, for that Brokos belt, uh, it will be in multicam as well. I have officially joined the cool guy multicam crowd. Hold your applause. Wow, that is that is nice. So now you got to throw away all your previous camo and gear and and uh, replace everything. Oh no, Coyote looks great with multicam. Very good. Not, I was not ang- not not going to go that far. I was angling for your gear, but you've seen through my evil scheme. Too bad. Maybe I will sell some of it. Oh, I wasn't that. planning on buying it. Oh, maybe it'll be a, a giveaway or something. Yeah. Something. You could probably do something like that one day with some of your gear, John. I'm sure there's probably a big market for some uh, woodland camo gear with my autograph on it. Just think of yeah. the uh, the eBay sales that would go on with that. Uh, I bet. I know one person would probably buy it. <laughs> Tom from the Gun Dudes. Uh, I don't know. Tom Tom did side with me in the whole zombie apocalypse thing, so um, we are kindred spirits uh, in that respect. I think he's officially a John fanboy. He's completely, he hates me now, doesn't even talk to me anymore. I text him and he doesn't even text me back. Uh, he's too busy talking to John, I think. But he's gone on the record that he hates Marines, so that's probably part of it. Probably. Oh, sorry. Well, we also have, uh, well, John digresses. He did that. It was his fault. T-shirts, we mentioned a little bit earlier. We have T-shirts. I picked them up Tuesday. That would be Monday afternoon, evening, your time when I actually have these in my hands. And they're going to get sent out to every single person who has ordered one. The date of this recording, which is November 25th. All right, so if you have ordered a shirt as of right now, your shirt will ship on Tuesday. That, that, that was our order for this time. Now we are going to do another order of shirts. So all you got to do is go to the website, and I will post it on Facebook, and it'll be in the show notes. You go order a shirt, look for check the site after Tuesday, and you will see pictures of the actual shirt. We also have hoodies Everybody likes a hoodie. It's cold in the U.S. You know, you guys are cold, so get a hoodie. Buy one for the whole family. Let the family be warm as well. We don't have Snuggies. Sorry. John wanted to make Snuggies, but I was like, no, John, we can't make Snuggies. Now, you promised me that was next year for Christmas. We would roll out the Snuggies. Yes, we were thinking about it. Right. With some like festive Christmassy graphics on it, too. I was thinking multicam. It's an untapped market right there. Yeah, we could do that. All right. Uh, before this gets even worse, let's talk about stuff we're going to talk about. What do you say? Let's go right into uh, one of our segments here, Black Friday, Cyber Monday Purchases. I made a little post on uh, the Gunfighter Cast blog. If you want to go check that out, we'll throw that in the show notes too. Go check it out, click it, uh, read it, share it if you like. Uh, but basically, it was talking about Black Friday and how crazy we get in Black Friday. Just somehow Black Friday sells, just brings out the worst in everybody. Like They're just beating kids and fighting over Xboxes and all kind of stuff. And uh, I kind of related that to... You know, what could happen in a civil unrest environment or a place where there's somewhat of an emergency where people aren't getting fed or, or water or gasoline. And, uh, you know, how very quickly that thin layer of politeness in our society is peeled back uh, over something like saving 10 bucks on something at Best Buy. Uh, it's just kind of ridiculous. And I think that's only a small percentage of what we'll see uh, if there is actually, you know, a big emergency like a Katrina incident or something where you know, people are hungry, the kids are hungry and things like that. It's going to be a little bit worse than what we see in Black Friday. But Black Friday just basically out of greed. It's kind of ridiculous. 
But uh, that's not exactly what we're going to talk about here. We're talking about what I bought for Black Friday and what John bought for Black Friday. And uh, I was looking around for some deals on the internet for some ammo. Couldn't really find anything that I thought was really great Black Friday or hopefully Cyber Monday tomorrow will have something uh, for some ammo. That's kind of what I want to get, maybe a couple of pieces of gear if I find for a good price. But Troy Industries had 20% off. And if you listen to Gunfighter Cast, you know that I had a Midwest Industries handguard on my rifle before I left. The one I built before coming out here and was completely unhappy with it. It didn't fit right or anything. And I had to use that 20% off everything in the cart at Troy Industries and buy the one I had on my last AR that I loved and I should have bought this time. And now I have it on the way. So I bought that. And I also bought a Brokos belt from Viking Tactics. So those are my two Black Friday purchases and uh who knows what we might come up with on cyber monday hope you guys have some found some good deals and some good gear and ammo and equipment out there john what have you got well i had just purchased a shotgun back at the end of october beginning of november so i didn't make any real big uh, black friday purchases uh, i did get some fleece a couple watch caps more of the uh that type of gear but uh, nothing super cool like your troy industry stuff uh, and as far as Cyber Monday goes, I do have some some purchases planned for things like uh, you know for what I do up at Sig, some uniform stuff, replace some some gear that way. So I'm looking to see what the uh, what the Cyber Monday deals are, and uh, probably making those purchases. Nothing uh, again, nothing too super exciting, but you know, like five eleven pants. Uh, I do want to pick up a two-inch Ares gear belt because, uh, like you said, I, I do want to start putting my Brocoast belt together. And I think I've decided on the uh, same as you. I, I decided I wanted to go with the Viking Tactics Brocoast version. So I'll have the belt. I'll have the, the Brocoast portion, the Ares portion, uh, a Dark Angel medical kit to put on it. But uh, other than that, I'm going to have to keep... Uh, Keep an eye out. I really haven't decided what pouches and holsters and all that other good stuff. So still plenty of stuff to buy. Yeah, still in the same way. We're both kind of looking at different holsters for our Brokos belt. I don't want anything drop leg. I want it to sit right there on my, my belt itself. We'll let you know how that turns out. Looking at a few different holster manufacturers and a few different options to see you know, what works. Uh, talking about things that you're looking for. What is going on in the John house? Uh, yeah hold on one second (laughs) one hour later two hours later all right I am back did your house just get run over by a train? <laughs> <laughs> no, my uh, my daughters decided it'd be a good idea to get rabbits, and guess where the rabbits are? In my little where? in my basement recording room. So <laughs> oh, they got on their wheels real quick. Uh, I don't know what was going on over there, but they're being very <laughs> friendly towards each other. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm not to figure out a way for this to stay in the sh- in the show. Excellent, appreciate that. No, when you talk about things that you're looking at, what I'm looking at for Cyber Monday is, uh, you know, I still want to keep building stuff on that Brokos belt myself. Uh, I, I think I have some pouches that's going to go on that just fine. I ended up, you know, getting a while back that are M4 pouches, double magazine pouches, as well as four pistol magazine pouches, which is a really nice piece of gear. And uh, I'm looking for something similar to that. 
I might have even ordered another the same one because I really liked it. But I'm also looking for some AK magazine pouches and some AK products because uh, I am very, very much in the market for an AK-47. And I have decided on the AK-47. I was talking with George Hill last week and we were going back and forth on the uh, AK-74. But I, and I decided I'm going to go with the 47 based on some of his input and some other people I've talked to. So I'm going with that 47. I know both guns, but don't know all the little particulars about getting ammo and all the other little things that go along with it. So I'm going with the 47. So if any of you have got an M&M, it's kind of the brand I'm looking for right now, AK-47, let me know if you want to sell it. Or if you know where one is, because they're out everywhere on the internet. But that's what I'm looking for for Black Friday. Some AK stuff and some stuff to you know for my belt. Interesting. Unless something else really cool comes up. Now, um, have you listened to Safety Solutions podcast recently? I haven't listened to their latest one, no. Because uh, he was talking with somebody about, uh, let's say Black Forge or somebody, talking about uh, the AK-47s that they make, and they did go into a little bit on what the difference is between a Wasser and a Vesper or whatever. You know me, I'm not an AK-47 guy, although I'm not the AK-47 hater that some people seem to think, but uh, it was, uh, it's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, I'll check that one out. That's pretty much it. So if you listen to this, and it's and it's, it's Cyber Monday, and it's happening right now, and you're listening to the show, and you're like, I know where something great is that Daniel's going to love and what John's looking for, shoot us an email, daniel at gunfightercast.com or john at gunfightercast.com. Post on Facebook. Send a Facebook message, whatever way. Let me know. Send a link, and uh, I'll be more than happy to jump on and, and buy that. And if you like, you can go ahead and buy it for me, too. Wow. That's all right. Don't, don't buy anything for John. Just, just buy it for me. Yep. No, they all like you better anyway. They just like me longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into this uh, email from David. What do you say? Yeah, let's. Because this, uh, this is one we got a long time ago. And uh, didn't uh, – I think I responded to David at the time that it's something that we want to talk about on the show. But it- I've done that as well recently to a few people. And if we've told you that, that we're going to talk about it soon. There was one uh, I thought we were going to talk about uh, twist rates in a barrel. Mm-hmm. We haven't forgot about you. It happened to be Jet. You weren't on the next show, so it was somebody else. So we're going to wait on that one. We're going to kind of a, a backlog, but we're going to get to them one of these days. We'll just do that full on listener email all day, no talking about anything else. Just this hit emails. Yeah, this one. Yeah, this one's actually way back from May fourth, and uh, it's not a real simple one. So it's one that we wanted to give some thought to, maybe do some research. Which we did. Oh, yeah, we didn't. We've waited this long, <laughs> and we've given it a little bit of th- we thought about it enough to try and answer it, but we didn't do as much research as we probably should. But uh, let's see where to begin. He, uh, It's a long email, so I'll uh, I'll try and cut to the chase here. Yeah, let's paraphrase. Basically, the uh, what David had talked about is, uh, well, he says he has a problem with uh, a traditional double action trigger setup, or you know what you might call a double action, single action trigger setup. And uh, some of the things, I guess he's a firearms instructor for a law enforcement agency. It sounds like the law enforcement agency, you've, at that agency, you've got some latitude as to what you uh, what you pick for your weapon. And long story short, he's wondering with striker-fired weapons like the Glocks. Well, I'll cut right to exactly what he says. Uh, in this day and age, is there still a viable reason to keep using a double-action, single-action trigger setup? Uh, since Glock burst onto the scene, and now that striker-fired pistols are being produced by almost every major firearms manufacturer, why are we still making life harder on ourselves with guns like the 226? So that is essentially the question. He had gone into uh, a lot of information about uh, single-action triggers and you know, as 
that's an option out there, striker fires. Why are we still using double singles? And uh, David was saying that uh, as an instructor, he doesn't like people using double singles just because there's that two different trigger presses and he found people were having problems on the first trigger press misses and so forth when they get to that single action trigger press so are double singles still a viable option in this day and age well daniel what do you think wait a second don't do this to me well you work for sig yeah exactly so people are going to trust me what i say anyway of course they're still viable because <laughs> sig makes them so otherwise they wouldn't make them <laughs> we don't need to justify them yeah sig makes them they're good it's a 226 for crying out loud do you need to say anything else you know i i, I get the whole thing like why do we need this and I, i've made the same argument don't don't kill me but uh i am just not crazy about the 1911 anymore like i used to be i, I am i'm not i'm not and I just think that there's so many good guns out there and that will just eat anything and don't clean it, don't do anything under the harshest conditions. They're just awesome all the time. That I think they're kind of, and I hate to make this an anti-1911 thing, but I, I'm just kind of over it. You know what I mean? Mm. And I agree or, or not agree, hate me for that, whatever. It's just for me, it's not the thing for me. It's not. But relating that to you know the striker-fired pistols and all the options out there, and uh, things like the SIG 226, which I just bought. And I now, well, uh, pretty soon to be the owner of two. I'm the owner of one double single pistol. I've got a Breda M9A1. Uh, and uh, I've got a 226 Elite Dart coming on the way. And those are both double single pistols. And I personally, I, I like the double action uh, and single action for a few different reasons. I like my Glock 19 because it comes out same trigger pull every single time. But I also, I practice a lot with the M9. I've been had the opportunity in the Marine Corps to have a lot of ammunition and a lot of time on a range, sometimes doing actual curriculum with a school or a course, sometimes just, you know, a lot of ammunition and just do whatever I want to do and, and train however I want to train with it, uh, whether I'm teaching or just doing something by myself. And I really learned to really like that Beretta, the trigger, the light five-pound trigger of a single action with that Beretta. Uh, even the 12 to 13-pound double action. It's really not that bad. Now, I think if you have an inexperienced shooter coming out and like, here, meet a brand new gun, you've never shot a pistol before, I, I give you that. Double action, single action pistol is probably not the best pistol for them to learn on. They may start associating that like, every pistol is like this or, or what, I mean, you get, no matter how you explain it, just it's a bit more complicated. I mean, I, I'm not going to act like it's not, but I practice the most with my Beretta uh, and with, you know, with the SIG when it gets here, weapons in the holster. So I'm safe. I come out of the holster, weapon on fire, fire that first double action shot, search and assess, reholster, repeat a heck of a lot of times. And I think that's a very important that first shot. And yeah, is it's it easy to do that with a Glock or you know with any other striker fire or a 1911 that the hammer's all the way to the rear? Sure it is. I think I can be just as efficient with that double action pistol as I can with those other pistols with a little bit of practice. And so to say it's still viable, I think from a safety standpoint, it's still viable. I think from a, uh, just because, you know, the fact of pulling a 13 or a pound trigger inadvertently, you under stress or because you're reholstering and it gets caught in your gear or for, you know, a thousand different things that could possibly happen from a safety standpoint, I think that first shot being double action uh, is a viable thing. I think having a decocker on that pistol and putting it back into that position is a, a very viable use as a, as a safety tactic, uh, I guess you could say. Now, do you think it's, sorry to interrupt you, but because I'm, I'm kind of 
you know, on the same page with you. And do you think it's because that that's what we were trained on? I mean, would would if we had uh, you know spent all our early careers running 1911s, would we be kind of looking at this from that angle that the 1911 is the best because we've always trained that way? Probably so. I, I, I bet so. It's kind of like an M4. You know, I, I swear by an M4. I swear by it. Just direct gas impingement. M4. Of course, I am looking at some piston guns from SIG, but uh, we'll leave that for another discussion. But the, uh, you know, I swear by that. And that's because that's what I got introduced to from the beginning. And that's what I had forever. Is there? But now recently I've started playing with the AK and my I've really enjoyed using the AK. One, it's kind of like me with a revolver. I've never really used one much, and it's something that I want to learn a lot more about and get really proficient with just to add to the repertoire. But also, uh, it's fun, and it's, it's probably still going to be the M4, what I grab first, but uh, you know, I'm adding something else to it. And I think that I think you're right. I think it is kind of the way we grew up, the way we were taught from the beginning, and what we were accustomed to from the very start. And maybe that's why you know a lot of the older guys are just die hard 1911, just because they don't want to give it up. It's just what it's what they know. And there's nothing yeah, wrong with I'm that. I'm kind of no, there's not. I mean, I'm similar to to your circumstance in that. I mean, I have a 1911. I've shot a 1911, but it, as far as a carry gun, I don't shoot a 1911. And it's it's not that I hate 1911s or anything because I mean I. Th- I I do like shooting them when I shoot them, but I don't have any, but I'd kind of like to shoot a, a single action, you know, revolver, like a cowboy action gun. I mean, I think those would be cool to shoot too, mm-hmm. but that's not what I'm going to carry for, you know, my kind of my daily gun. Could you? And are there some people that do? Yeah, but that's just not what's what's going to work for me. I mean, I like people say that, you know, that is a... Uh, you know, a downside to the traditional double action triggers at first trigger press is different. But, you know, by the same token, well, no, no amount of poundage is ever going to, is ever going to take the place of trigger finger discipline and, uh, you know, keeping stuff off the trigger. You know, I do like having that first press a little bit, require a little bit more effort for some of those things that we don't plan on, like the stuff getting caught in our, you know, something gets caught in our holster as we're holstering up or something not just the the double action trigger press but i like the uh, exposed hammer because i know when i go back to the holster if i'm holding the hammer down even if there is something in the trigger um, sorry in the trigger guard inside the holster i'm in a position of mechanical advantage where the weapon's not going to be able to fire it's not going to overpower my thumb and you know cock and release the hammer and cause it to discharge so it's not actually the doesn't really have anything to do with the trigger press itself, but just that the fact that it's got that exposed hammer that's got to that's got to fully cycle before it goes off. By by now, everybody's seen the YouTube video of Tex Grebner shooting himself in the leg. I dare say that if you were running a Sig or a Beretta double action pistol, double single, that probably wouldn't have happened to him. And that you know what I'm talking about is where he draws from his holster with a 1911 and he shoots himself in the leg because he's trying to come out of the holster like crazy, super fast, uh, and he shoots himself in the leg. Talked about it in a blog post, and uh, I think it's probably linked all over the place. Just Google text Grebner shoots himself. You'll see it. It's ridiculous. His training kicks in, though, at some point. Just leave, leave yeah. it with that. I, I would say that probably wouldn't happen if he had uh, you know, a Beretta or a, uh, a SIG on his side or some other you know, double-action pistol or you know, first-shot double-action. Do you think it would have happened if it was a Glock? I don't. Or a, I, let's, not, let's not call all striker-fired Glocks, but a striker-fired. Uh, I think... Depends. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what pound pressure his his, uh, his 1911 was set at, but I think it'd be more reasonable to say that it probably could have happened if he had a uh, striker fire pistol, because 
that uh, striker fire, even though the ATF may classify it as double action, uh, is still a lot closer to you know that 1911 trigger pull, short, crisp, lightweight, than uh, that you know 12, 13 pound double action pull, long pull. Hmm. I don't know. I I don't think I agree with that totally. Um, and just because um, you know, with the the trigger finger, I mean, we're talking the difference between four pounds versus six pounds versus nine pounds versus, I might say double actions are at about 10 pounds. I don't, I mean, I think the poundage does give you an increased margin of safety, but I don't think it necessarily makes it safe. If you're going to do something stupid or, well, let's not say stupid. If you're going to do something that's really stupid. not well. Well, um, something not well thought out, like, for example, getting on the trigger while you're still in the holster, and then, you know, the the weapon catches in the holster while you're pulling up with your finger on the trigger. Certainly, the you know, all things being equal, I think that the uh, if you've got the safety off, that 1911 is going to be the first to go off, but I don't know that right, And that's what I'm saying, thing. that 1911 is going to be the first to go off, and I think the five-pound striker fire pistol is going to be the second to go off and then that mm. long heavy 12 10 to 13 pound trigger pull on the double action is probably going to be your least likely and third to go off but still yeah okay could go off. so yeah i guess i'm i'm tracking with what you're saying then it, it's you're getting a margin of safety i don't think it's going to make it it's not going to make it totally safe for somebody doing something like that they're still going to be able to put around in their leg if they work hard enough but i guess it is you know just because you have a double action pistol and it's in double action mode right then hammers forward, doesn't mean you get to ignore a safety rule and put your finger on the trigger. You don't get any bias. No. Finger still stays straight off the trigger, you know, or along the slide. It's not that uh, I'm saying you get a buy because you've got all this margin for error, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, my trigger finger my safety. I got my safety right here. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, your, your startle reflex is easily going to be able to generate 25 pounds of force in your index finger. So any any pistol, if you've got your finger... Uh, where it's not supposed to be, and and you get one of those startle reflexes, or and you start to lose your balance, and you know your fingers naturally want to grab at stuff when when we start to lose our balance, or you get that inner limb interaction where you're thinking about uh, you know your other hand's doing something rather vigorous, you're not thinking about your where your trigger finger is, that can get on the the trigger as well. I mean, any of those situations, you're going to be able to generate enough pressure to cause. Single action, a striker fired, a double action, single action, double action only. All you're gonna be able to generate enough power to to cause that to go off if your finger's not where it's supposed to be. So what about the decocker? What advantage does that give us, or disadvantage? Well, I mean, I guess the if you're gonna talk about a disadvantage, the disadvantage is you've got to train enough that you remember to decock it before going back to the holster. But uh, well, let me throw this out out there at you if. If I, um, let's say I've got my traditional double action, I forget to decock it and I go back to the holster. Uh, so I've holstered a double action gun in single action. Is that a whole lot different than holstering a striker fired? Uh, no, I don't think. I would. Can you put this weapon on safe with the hammer to the rear? No, no, it's not one of those that's designed to be carried, you know, cocked and locked or whatever. Just the, like your Beretta, for example. Let's say that it's not well. You can put yours on safe, so maybe that's a bad example. But but I can't put it. Uh, let's, well, the, the the M9 cannot put it on safe with the hammer to the rear. The safety is a decocker, and it okay yeah. It, so once you decock, uh, once you put it on safe, you've essentially decocked and put it on safe. But yeah, I, I think mm. if you if you holster a single action pistol, 
uh, then you have a holstered single action pistol, and depending on you know your the weight of your, your uh, the pull weight of that trigger, you may have turned it into something similar to a 1911 without a safety or uh, a striker fire pistol. What's uh, I mean, you're more of a uh, I, I currently don't own any Glocks, but what's a typical Glock trigger pull? Uh, six pounds, five point five pound. Yeah, just as an example, Glock 19, five point five pound trigger pull. If I Forget to decock my SIG pistol and go back to the holster. I'm talking about a four-pound, probably about a four-pound trigger pull, maybe four to four and a half. But let's say four. I mean, you're talking the difference between five and a half pounds and four pounds. Not a whole lot of difference there, really. Nope. But um, so, I mean, I I guess the still you don't, you know, as far as training goes, you know, we're trained not to run on. We don't want to cock single action pistol because it, defeats the safety advantage that we were just talking about with having a, a double action trigger press as the first one. So I guess a disadvantage would be the, the additional training that you have to do to um, train yourself to decock the pistol before working it back to the holster. Yeah, I, I would definitely concede that with the, and I kind of touched on that at the beginning. If you're just brand new, you're picking up a gun for the first time, there is a bit more of a, a learning curve with the uh, you know, double action, single pistol. Then there is a striker fire, or maybe even your 1911. But, but I guess on the other side of it, though, I mean, if I'm running a Glock or I'm running a 1911, or I'm running the Sig Classic Line double action, it's not like I don't have to train to do something when I'm done shooting, right? I mean, if you're just going back to the holster, you're you're either just shooting at cardboard or you're doing it wrong. You kind of train to do a procedure, you know, to scan for additional threats and look for cover and self-assessment and other good guys and all that other stuff. Is it really that much more complicated to add, you know, thumbing a decocking lever to your normal post, you know, shooting procedure? See, I don't know because I've never really been in the situation. I've always been in situations where I was training with a Beretta from the very start. My first pistol I ever bought was a Glock 23, but... I used, I'd already been training with a Breda for years and I've always from like day one messing with pistols, even, even back when I was a, a younger, younger gent and, uh, my father's department was carrying, uh, a 40 caliber Berettas. Even then when I was a small child shooting that thing, it was, uh, the same thing. I fire, I'm going to reholster or whatever. I'm, I'm putting my, my weapon away, a decock. And so I've done that my entire life. So it is nothing for me to do that it, it's just it's ingrained in my my muscles my brain my thought process it's just as much part of the action of holstering a pistol as it is putting it in the pistol and eventually letting go of the pistol after you know you realize it's in the holster securely it's it's nothing it's nothing for me but i could see where you know some people who haven't been doing that their whole life it may be you know an additional thing but i was talking more about the learning curve being uh, that first shot being double and then transitioning your your brain and your trigger pull and everything else that your next shot is going to be single action uh, you realize that you've reached reset, and then you know your next shot isn't that full double action where your trigger finger started from initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like um, it really. I mean, obviously, it's two different two different trigger presses. But when you're shooting your your Glock 19, for example, if that first trigger press, I assume your fingers up on the side of the frame, correct? Yes. I mean, it's right. So first thing you come in, you find the trigger, you press. 
do you hold to the rear, let the sight sights come up, sights come back down, then uh, bring the trigger forward to reset it for your next shot, or do you just let go of the trigger and come in and find it again? Well, yeah, you kind of the way you described that was kind of like a slow fire technique. If I was shooting like a bullseye match, and I I pull the trigger, hold it to the rear, weapons reset on target, and I slowly release pressure until it, I hear that reset. Now I'm ready to fire my next shot. That would be follow through and trigger control. You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. we're talking about shooting at a target, fast defensive style type shooting. Still, the same thing applies. It's just the fundamentals mm-hmm. are sped up. We're doing it much quicker, or I wouldn't use the word compress, but we're speeding it up. I'm not going to release my, my finger when I'm firing. Just never actually breaks contact with the trigger. I just release mm-hmm. enough after you know you. That's part of training. We realize that where our reset is, and you know that how much pressure that you have to release. Just like you know how much pressure it takes to make your pistol go bang. You know how much mm-hmm. pressure you need to release to get to that trigger reset, and then you're ready to fire your next shot. So your first shot on a Glock, your finger's up there on the frame somewhere, right? Yes, you have to make contact with the trigger. Mm-hmm. Your second shot with the Glock, your finger's already on the trigger, and you're probably coming from the back of the trigger guard to your reset point to make it go, right? Yep. So it's kind of not the same trigger press even on a Glock. Technically, I think you could argue that, and I, th- I think you're right. I think if you're going to... If you're just going to put the pistol in your hand and you're going to slap the trigger, or even, you know, you come out of the trigger guard, and, you know, what we're talking about is trigger reset. And, you know, some sometimes, especially newer shooters, will have a problem with trigger reset because, you know, they're thinking, and, you know, it's nothing bad. They've been thinking safety, 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 finger off the trigger, finger off the trigger. They press, the weapon goes off, they bring the finger all the way off the trigger. They want to shoot it again, they come back on the trigger finger comes all the way off the if you're going to run it like that then yeah every trigger press is the same but you know i think i make the argument that the first trigger press is going to be different anyway if you're running it you know you've learned trigger reset uh the first trigger press is going to might break at the same poundage but the way you make it break is going to be uh different first shot to subsequent shots anyway no i i see where you're getting at. i i completely agree i think it's i don't want to use the word extreme argument but uh oh it, i i understand it, it's kind of split in hairs i'm, I'm not saying quite, that i don't think it's quite to the level of grasping at straws either yeah i, I don't want to say that it's the same thing as a double action single action because it's not it's you know same pressure causes the trigger you know to engage the striker every time that is definitely an advantage over a traditional double action system but by the same token i, I don't it's just like I said, I don't think you press the trigger the same way. I think the first one is always a little bit different based on where the trigger finger comes from, regardless of what system you're operating. Now, I have read, and this is speaking specifically about the Breda, and I'd have to look this up and, and try to find it. I, I, I can't cite anything because I've read it probably been a few years, where there's been officers scuffling with bad guys, and uh, they disarm the officer. And that Beretta is on safe, and they go to pull the trigger, and they're not understanding that how the weapon's on safe. Uh, there, there was something involved there with the double action, the decocker. I can't remember all the specifics, but mm. basically the way the Beretta was made is what saved the officer's life, and how that it wasn't just pull out, go bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's kind of a, I mean that that's reasonable too for you know officer safety or you know if, if you're open carrying. Yeah, I my first um my first duty weapon was a Smith and Wesson 
5906, and it uh, I think it operates somewhat similar to uh, you know your Beretta in that the ones we had uh, it wasn't a spring loaded. It had that um, that kind of decocking slash safety lever on the slide, but it wasn't spring loaded. So if you wanted to carry the weapon on safe, you could press it down. And if the hammer was cocked, it would lower the hammer, but it would also disengage the trigger at that point. Although I never carried it that way. As soon as I decocked it, I took it back off safe. Um, and it's again, it's just personal preference. Maybe it's different in a law enforcement context where you know, we always ran security holsters anyway. So, you know, how many things do I want to have to click and knock and press before I can make my gun go bang? So having the pistol on safe was never... I never did that. I ran a Beretta 92F for a while as well in another department, and I never ran that on safe either. I, I guess just relied on the the security holster. And, you know, I guess that's goes back to training because both those departments, that's how the department trained to use the thing. Could very easily have had a firearms instructor who believed in that safety for the, you know, the, the reason that you just gave, and maybe my thoughts would be different. You know, I could go both ways on that from a, a law enforcement officer standpoint and my zero experience as a law enforcement officer. Uh, having a Breda on safe, I can see where that could possibly be something, you know, great. Maybe the, the day, the times that we're in now with the levels of retention holsters that we have, uh, it's, not this, it's not the argument of having it on safe in the holster isn't quite as valid as maybe it was 20 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago or, or whatnot. Mm. Uh, but uh, maybe it still is a valid argument. Uh, from a military perspective, uh, if I'm walking around in a uh, Ford operating base or in a vehicle or, uh, you know, I'm not actually, okay, we're about to go. We're on a movement of contact. We're, we know there's bad guys here. We're doing a, a catching an HVT. We're, we're doing something right now. We're going to go, you know, hit this building. Something's going to happen. Then my weapon is going to be on fire in the holster ready to go. Now, if I go to my holster and, I, and the, my first action whenever I unholster that Beretta is sweep my thumb forward. So if it's not on fire already, it's going to be on fire by the time I get up to a two-handed grip. That's not an issue. But just for just a little added, you know, I'd go ahead and put it on fire in my holster. So I can go both ways on that one. I'd see reasonable arguments for both, you know, for you know, the military application, having it on fire in the holster and law enforcement, as well as having it on safe. Are we kind of getting off of the double action thing? Well, no, not really. I mean, it is, uh, it is a feature of the double action that... Uh you know, it's a little bit different than a little bit different than the striker fired. I mean, it is a potential advantage if you want that. You know, some systems will allow you to have that kind of on-off switch for your pistol. Well, let me let me tell you what we do in close quarters battle. Uh, and we're talking about and where I was at before I came over here in security forces, where they teach close quarters battle for recovering nuclear devices, uh, recapture teams that in case uh, it falls into someone's hands, someone come get some kind of device and we have to go recapture it. This is what they're training to do. Uh, also nuclear fuel, nuclear odds and all that other stuff. Um, I don't know why anybody want to carry around some kind of radiation, but I guess some, it's a threat. If you had to draw your pistol and you engage with your pistol before you, and there's probably going to be movement required. You may go up and dead check. You may go up and sweep weapon. You may be getting ready to go up to uh, do something. Before you even take a step and move, you've went in your room, you cleared your room, moved into your down position, you're firing and moving, whatever you got to do, you've eliminated the bad guy. Before taking another step or doing anything else, as a safety requirement in this precision surgical type close quarters battle, this isn't level three mount or anything, this is close quarters battle, 
as a safety, you're getting dropped, you're gone if you do not decock and then move. Your weapon, can, your pistol can stay out. You can stay at the ready, keep your finger straight along the receiver, but you're moving or straight along the slot. You're, you're moving and you decock before you do that. And I don't think you're going to get anybody killed just because they have a little bit heavier, longer trigger pull because they're proficient with that pistol. They've done very, very challenging qualifications on a weekly basis and sometimes on a daily basis depending on what part of the course they're at. Uh, so they can fire that thing on double action with absolutely no trouble. But as an added safety precaution, inside of a building where you have multiple teams going in multiple directions doing multiple things, the chances for some blue-on-blue incident could be very high. So as an added safety precaution, even in a tactical environment, this is actually going down. That's still something that they train to do, we train to do. And you can't do that with a striker fire. So I guess really it, uh, you know, is there... Well, I mean, the answer to the original question is double single still viable. I think you and I are both in agreement that, uh, yes, it is still viable. Yeah, well, based uh, on what I just said, have you ever heard of anybody stealing a nuke in the U.S.? Nope. No, I haven't. Well, apparently the double action inside of a house, decocking it works, right? Therefore, ergo. Yeah, yeah that All right. makes sense. So I guess we, I guess we did just prove that. We that, proved uh, it. traditional double action is beats a striker fire. And that's not a post hoc fallacy or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess our answer uh, to wrap this up is that, yeah, uh, we feel a double single still viable. For me and for you. Yeah. I yes. mean, and it's, I think, you know, you look at any of these, the systems that we've talked about, a single action versus the double action versus a striker. They all have advantages. They all have disadvantages. And it's it's pretty much you just looking and, you know, hopefully understanding what all those advantages and disadvantages are. And then pick the system that you feel the advantages outweigh the disadvantages and then train with that system. I mean, in a in a perfect world, we would find a system that worked for us and then we would forego all other all other guns and just run that one system. Obviously, I don't necessarily do that because I've got a 1911. Um, I don't spend, I really don't do any striker fired right now. But, you know, uh, you it's fun to do other, you know, use other weapons and shoot a Glock and shoot a single action revolver and all this other stuff. But, you know, it's just a question of training and finding the system that works for you. And then, you know, running that as your system. I, I wouldn't want to carry a, a striker fired half the time and, in a two two six half the time, uh, I think that might lead to some issues where I forget to decock when I want to. Same way as if I run a Glock half the time and then I decide to carry my nineteen eleven. I'm sure there's going to be times where I come up and press the trigger and I'll have forgotten to run the safety because I've trained maybe a little more with the Glock than the than the nineteen eleven. Uh, I think that's always a consideration moving one one system to another. But I think if you find any of these systems and they work for you uh, and you train with it, you know, it's, it's ultimately going to come down to personal preference. If you think it's the right system, it's kind of like the placebo effect. It will be the right system for you. We talk quite a bit about, and we talk about gear or talk about pistols or, you know, we talked about magazine pouches, the way your plate carrier, your, your chest rig set up. If that item on your gear solves a problem for you, put it on your gear. If its location isn't the best and it could be solve a problem even easier for you if it was in a different location, then put it in that location. If something's on there that you're not going to use and it doesn't do anything for you, but it looks cool, whatever, you probably don't need it. 
And I think the pistol is the exact same way. If you're looking at a striker fire 1911 or uh, a double single, then does this double single in my application of firearms, what I do with it, if I'm carrying concealed, I'm a law enforcement officer, uh, military, uh, security contractor, mall cop, whatever it is you do, if that thing hinders you in some way or your ability to train or the amount of time that you have to spend training, if some all that's a factor, then you know, decide based on that, you know, what's going to work best for you. Maybe that Glock's going to be perfect for you and the SIG's not. Maybe you just can't afford the SIG, you know, the, the, but as far as, you know, being viable, I think they all have their applications and I think we have to put the puzzle pieces where they fit and, you know, you get what works for you. Train with it. Amen. Yep. And it is Sunday here, so I guess I can say that. So, uh I guess that's uh, that's pretty much our thoughts on the subject. Uh, curious to see uh, what you guys think. Either send us an email, John at GunfighterCast or Daniel at GunfighterCast, or uh, post something up on the uh, Facebook page. You know, we've got forums in a couple places as well uh, that we'll talk about as we close out the show. So curious to hear what you guys are thinking. I'm curious to get flamed because I said I was kind of done with the 1911 and I like the AK. So I'm no telling what's going to come out of that one. It's just craziness, craziness. Yeah, it's going to be bad. All right. Well, that's pretty much it for our topic. Just like John said, let's go ahead and close out the show. Uh, I'd like for you to join us over at Freedoms Network and join our group over there, Gunfighter Cast at the Freedoms Network, and join us in discussions, starting new discussions, and you know, give us your input on all of our other discussions. And there's also a lot of other bloggers and podcasts with the Freedoms Network over there that you can join in on discussions. And, uh, you know, we'll just discuss stuff because that's what the key word here is, discussion. Find us at the Null Attack forums at uh, nullattack.com and just click on forums. And uh, we're in there as well. Uh, we're also on Twitter uh, for GunfighterCast and uh, Google+. Plus. And, of course, Facebook. And so come please join us on those. John is also on Twitter. I am, and John, and when you post on Facebook, at GunfighterCast, and John is? Yeah, McGregor underscore media. He's got an underscore in there. He's an underscore kind of guy. Yeah. We also want to invite you to come listen to the other shows, some friends of ours, uh, with the Urban Shooter Podcast, uh, the Gun Dudes, and uh, Road Gunner Podcast. And uh, also, as John mentioned earlier, the Safety Solutions Academy Podcast. If you're interested in like a shotgun, some shotgun training videos, Paul's got uh, some of those in the works that uh, if you join his mailing list, uh, you can get in there. So uh, he's got an introductory video on YouTube you can find. But uh, if you want the the shotgun videos, and I'm looking forward to them, uh, you got to join his email list. So go check him out as well. Well, join the NRA. You know, like we, you know, always say, you know, we want to support, you know, gun rights in our country. Uh, NRA is the best way to do it. Uh, Some people might not totally agree with the NRA. In that case, find an organization that uh, does meet your needs. Like maybe it's the Second Amendment Foundation. It's also Gun Owners of America, all kinds of local groups, state groups. Go out and find somebody that, uh, that you're willing to devote your time and support to. Yep. And if you can't find them on the internet because somehow Google's broke, you can just go to www.gunfightercast.com. And on our pretty little page we got right there, you scroll down to the bottom, and there are links directly to the NRA, Second Amendment Foundation, and Gun and Honors of America. Pretty little pictures, too. Excellent. And please, uh, you know, if you do want to support the show, we've got um, 
the apps that you can buy in the iTunes store. But uh, also, if you don't want to spend any money, uh, review on iTunes. And if you want to spend more money than an app, um, now that uh, Daniel's become a, a clothing magnet, buy one of the T-shirts, hoodies. I can just imagine Snuggies coming next year. But uh, right now, want to support the show. Although, really, it's not supporting the show very much, come to think about it, uh, since we don't make any money on the shirts. But, but you're advertising. go ahead and buy them anyway. You're advertising. You're advertising. There you go. Yep. You are supporting the show through your advertising. And if you buy a shirt, that'll allow the person, the other person that wants a shirt who hasn't got one yet because the minimum order hasn't been reached yet. So you can not only help us, but help fellow listeners as well yeah. get the clothing that they deserve. That's right. Uh, also, I uh, have meaning to mention this on the show, but I keep forgetting. Uh, we're actually looking for a new graphic for that could go on possibly like a hat or the left breast of a polo shirt, something small. You know, circularly, spadely, chess piece, I don't know, whatever. you. I, I am not the most creative person ever to come up with a graphic. So uh, if you got any ideas for a graphic, we'd be very interested in seeing that. You can just email that to us or, you know, throw it up on the Facebook page and uh, we'll check it out. But uh, we'd like to see it. And uh, I think probably sometime in the uh, near future, we might run some kind of contest. That's how we got our gunfighter gas graphic we have right now is a contest uh i think i gave away a flashlight or a nice knife or something we'll probably do the same thing but looking for ideas for that just because our stuff doesn't really work so great on stickers and it doesn't really work so great on uh like polo shirts so we're kind of looking for something like that so if you got any ideas please help us out all right now that uh, most of our audience is tuned out with all these commercials we probably should just wrap it up so yeah. uh, until next week everybody be safe Yeah,